I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, welcome back for another episode, folks. If you are watching on YouTube, you will notice that is uh, that Christmas is right around the corner. The Diocese of Sioux Falls, who's very gracious in loaning uh, the, the South Dakota Catholic Conference studio space for this broadcast, they, they have really decked the halls. I am surrounded by, by tinsel uh, and fake Christmas trees and snow, which is uh, just a beautiful, beautiful time of year. One of the just really special things that people, little kids will know about this time of year is just like the magic of Christmas for small children. As the house gets decorated, the, you know, the, the tree gets trimmed and, um, and, uh, you know, looking forward to putting the little baby Jesus and all those major scenes around the house. And of course, presents on Christmas morning. So speaking of children, we're going to return to a topic today that is, uh, I think one of the top policy, uh, issues that we just need to be talking about today as Catholics, faithful Catholics in the public square. Joining me today to talk about the education of children is Sean Peterson. Sean is the president for Catholic Education Partners, a national Catholic nonprofit. His mission is to serve the Catholic community by advancing policy that empowers families and children to enjoy the benefits of a Catholic education. Before joining the staff at Catholic Education Partners, Sean served as associate director for public policy with Minnesota Catholic Conference, or Neighbors to the East. They've got a great podcast up there, by the way, Bridge Builders, if anybody likes the Faith and Politics uh, you know, podcast for their, for their drive time. Uh, South Dakota stations won't be able to tune in on the radio, but you can find it on your podcast app, Bridge Builder. Okay, Sean, prior to serving uh, at the Minnesota Catholic Conference, he spent two decades working on legislative and policy issues, um, including parent choice and education. And during that time, he was president of his own government relations firm, worked in state government, serving in the administrations of two different governors, and as senior staff in a state legislature. Sean, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chris. Great to be here. Well, I'm I'm glad to be visiting because, like I said, this is this is a really important topic. I know that the topic is timely because we are uh, rolling into our legislative sessions across the country, including South Dakota. We begin on January 11th. At the very least, uh, South Dakota Partners in Education, which is our tax credit scholarship program, we're going to have a, a bill to expand the cap on that program, which is exciting. That's really at the service of a lot of kids in need. Beautiful program. Um, but maybe let's just take it from take it from the top, uh, Sean, and just tell us a little bit about what is Catholic Education Partners? You know, when was it founded? Who founded it? And what's more of like the, the purpose? What's its, its reason for existing? Sure. No, I'd be happy to. So we were founded in 2017 and we were in, in part an initiative um, out of the USCCB. We're not, we're not under the USCCB, but we were founded with their blessing. Um, Sister John Mary Fleming, who used to be the, the director of the secretariat at USCCB, really saw a need. You know, we've, we've got wonderful uh, national groups um, that, that work in education choice, but, you know, Catholic schools are the largest um, non-government school system in the United States. And there was no voice for them in these, in these upcoming, um, you know, discussions about school choice. And so we've actually, uh, this, this year, actually, we, we really kind of rebranded and we call ourselves the voice, the Catholic voice for education choice. 
So we're, we're a national organization, but we work on state level policy and we, we partner with state Catholic conferences and bishops, Catholic superintendents and the Catholic community in, in any state that, that would like us to come in and, and work with them in subsidiarity uh, to, to pass policies so that more children and families can enjoy um, uh, a Catholic education. And, and that includes uh, in th this day and age with the funding model, the traditional funding model for Catholic education uh, switching because of lots of reasons, uh, school choice has to be a piece of that. So that's really what we do every single day. We wake up thinking, how can we get South Dakota school choice? How can we get Nebraska school choice, California, New York? Well, and one thing about your story that I think is important and compelling is that um, bishops, really, this was an, initi an initiative of, of the American Catholic bishops to not to, to launch you and then control everything, but actually to, here's your mission, get you started, go forth and do great things in this area, which we've seen them do in the past. Um, National Right to Life would be a great example in 19. And, and of course, that's not a specifically Catholic organization, but they did they did found that in 1968, just saw the policy need and have done the same here. Sean, for, for people that have never heard the term school or education choice, school choice, I want to get more into it. Maybe parent choice in education, um, another great, great term kind of around the same thing. We'll get into the Catholic teaching, but just like as we, as we kind of get into the teaching, what is the, the brief description of what that term means? Well, I think, yeah, we, we do talk about education choice. Uh, I think now we've, we've kind of switched from school choice to education choice, but really yeah. what, what it really means is, is just giving children and families the opportunity that they need to choose what's best for their children in the education world. And, you know, at CP, obviously we want, we, we would love people to choose great Catholic schools. And that's, that's the goal. That's the mission, but really put parents in the driver's seat ultimately and, and let them choose what's best for their child. And that could, that could be a wide range of, of options, but, but they are ultimately uh, in charge of their child and their child's education. So that's maybe a good segue into like, what are some of the, the key building block teachings of the Catholic faith of the church when it comes to education, just, I mean, even broadly, not even necessarily vis-a-vis -vis the obligations of civil government, but what are the, what are those foundational teachings? Well, just that the parents, the, I mean, the most important one, I think you can boil it down to in a sentence, parents are first educators of their children. Yeah. That, that's the, that's, if you, if you could only say one thing, that's the elevator pitch. Yes. That parents are first educators. And so, um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit, but, but as such, then, uh, the powers that be the, the, the civic authorities and everyone else has to re not only respect that, yeah, but should really create conditions where that can thrive. Yes. And so, um, you know, there's the, 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 kind of the most, the best basic document that we have is um, Gravissimum Educationis. And that was uh, promulgated in 1965. Um, and, and that document really is uh, kind of the premier document of the church on this teaching. And it says parents are first educators of their children. And the state has uh, a duty to ensure that parents can can make those decisions and those choices, and you know, 
Um, like it or not, that economics is involved with those decisions because not all parents can naturally write a check or, you know, always necessarily get, um, you know, a, a scholarship uh, either from the church or from their their school of choice. So, and we do have a lot of great documents. If people want to read further, we've got a lot of church teaching and documents on our website um, that we'd love, you know, people to go to and read those. They're beautiful documents that the church has produced on this, on this topic. Yeah. You, and you mentioned, uh, gravissimum educationis. I don't know if my Latin pronunciation, somebody can, one of, than- yeah, one of our Latinists can, can, uh, email me and tell me how I did, but, I mean, I think it's, for me, this is one of the pieces of our catechism and pieces of our, our Catholic tradition, including a conciliar teaching, the Vatican Council too, that I didn't know, you know, growing up being raised as a Catholic, I guess I kind of, you know, I did go to Catholic schools and I maybe heard my parents talk about it at times that, you know, they were making a sacrifice and that they were paying for education twice. Um, uh, but I didn't really know that it was part of Catholic teaching. I'm going to just, um, if I can, Sean, read from the Catechism, which is reciting the Second Vatican Council teaching, which is in turn sort of reciting the, you know, the the, the ancient tradition of the Church. So mm-hmm. here's uh, paragraph 2229 for folks who want to, you know, follow along on the scorecard at home in the Catechism. As those first responsible for the education of their children, parents have the right to choose a school for them which corresponds to their own convictions. This right is fundamental. And I just want to break there for a minute. And so this right is fundamental. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but I think what the, what it, it means by saying it's fundamental is that we're not talking about a, even necessarily like an internal church discipline, like, you know, like a uniquely Catholic thing, thou shalt not eat meat on Fridays in Lent. But we're talking about like, this is a, a fundamental thing that belongs to all parents, Catholic parents, but all parents. So it goes on, um, as far as possible, parents have the duty of choosing schools that will best help them in the task, their task as Christian educators. Public authorities have the duty of guaranteeing this parental right and of ensuring the concrete conditions for its exercise. The, the compendium for the social doctrine of the church and gravissimum educationis, um, they use the language of civil authorities have the duty to provide public subsidies, which is, I can't think of that many places in Catholic teaching where the teaching is saying how government should spend its money. That's how important this is. Oh, absolutely, Chris. Yeah, yeah no, no, it's a, it's a, yeah. And, and I often, it's, it's interesting when I, I pointed out to our secular uh, partner and our other, in our other um, religious partners, when, when we're talking about these things, when I, when I introduce them to Gravissimum, um, they're really just blown away yeah. because this document, uh, you know, precedes the, the school choice movement by decades. And, and so, and when they read this, they're like, it, it's such a beautiful statement. It's such a beautiful teaching. And it's not just one that is just, as you said, applicable to Catholics or, or, or other Christians, or it's, it's applicable to everybody and no matter what kind of education they want to choose. So yeah, it, it's just, uh, it's just a lovely teaching and we're, we're, so blessed to have have these documents in our church. I want to read one more thing, Sean, and just ask for your comment. This is from the Compendium and the Social Doctrine, um, paragraph 241. And what I'm going to read is, is maybe challenging to some people, but this is part of our Catholic uh, heritage. This is part of te- teaching. And so I, I actually want to put it out there and like, let's stir the pot a little bit and actually think about this. Um, 
So the refusal, this is again, uh, paragraph 241 of the compendium, the the refusal on the part of uh, civil authority, the refusal to provide public economic support to non-public schools that need assistance and that render a service to civil society is to be considered an injustice. And I'm like, oh, whoa. So we're not just talking about freedom of parents, but we're actually talking about a principle of justice at stake here. And then it goes on, whenever the state lays claim to an educational monopoly, it oversteps its rights and offends justice. Wow. Okay. So we're kind of, we're, we're actually resisting a state monopoly on education. Uh, final two sentences. The state cannot without injustice merely tolerate so-called private schools. So if we're just sort of tolerating them, that's unjust. Such mm-hmm. schools render a public service and therefore they have a right to financial assistance. Um, so you go back to like uh, the, the constitution of South Dakota and the constitution of most, most states, it makes clear that like the state has an interest in educating future citizens. That's, you know, to have a Republic, you have to have educated citizens. So there's a state interest there. And like Catholic schools are providing a great service to the, the, the body politic. What do you, what do you, what comes to mind when you hear that, um, uh, those sentences? Well, I think, you know, something occurred to me when I first read that, and I, I didn't read that, you know, most of these documents until I started working at the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And then obviously I've gotten into them much deeper, um, in, in my new role here, but, um, you know, it occurred to me that we talk about public education all the time. To me, really, you, you need to flip it. Um, we, we talk in terms of government schools and non-government schools, because really that's what they are. That, that's just the delivery model. Yeah. But to me, public education is the education of the public. And we have to, uh, we've got to wrap our head around the idea that that is not always going to be in a government built government run school. Um, we've Catholic schools have been educating good citizens and members of the public for 150 years in this country and actually longer. If we look at the, the first schools as, as we sort of know them with a teacher and pupils and sort of a formal class setting in a day were Catholic schools. Yeah. Dating back to the 1600s um, in the new world in America, yeah. um, you know, starting in St. Augustine, Florida. And so, so you know, um, I, I sort of say to government schools, you know, we need them and and they serve a purpose. And but it's sort of welcome to the party. Um, you know, we've been doing this a long time, uh, not only in Europe, but in the United States and all over the world. And so, yeah, we, we have to stop thinking of, you know, oh, these are public schools, sort of like they're somehow a level above or they should be raised above or that they're even a sacred cow. Yeah. Uh, that cannot be um, challenged or um, you know, or, or, or funded. Um, and, and we, then we don't, you know, consider funding, uh, other, other forms of school. Well, and I want to plug your, your website real quick. It's catholiced.us. If you're just jumping into the program, uh, Chris Motes here speaking with Sean Peterson, president of Catholic education partners, great organization. We're talking about parent choice and education and are kind of walking through some of the church teaching catholiced.us. If you go to the resources tab uh, on your website, Sean, I was blown away. I think these are maybe some updates to the website more recently, but you've got this list of important church documents going back to Spectata Fides, 1885, Pope Leo the, the 13th, 
all the way up through um, Pope Francis 2014 address to the participants of uh, Cong Congregation for Catholic Education. Um, just a, I gotta I gotta go through and read some of these things because there's a there's a great list of Catholic resources, including Gravissimum, Second Vatican Council, uh, including Ex Cordia Ecclesiae. Um, one of the one of the resources too that you've got plugged on your website is this great little book, uh, The Holy See's Teaching on Catholic Schools. Archbishop uh, J. Michael Miller, uh, former secretary of the Congregation for Catholic Education. Um, can you tell us, Sean, why this book, I, and I think it has its own little like, like standalone blog post uh, page kind of thing. Why is this an important book? That's just a great, I, I would say that's probably the best summary on Catholic schools and Catholic teaching of why we have Catholic schools, what Catholic schools really should be in the United States. Archbishop Miller just did a, just, it, it's just a beautiful little tome that, you know, anyone can get. Uh, it's a quick read, but it's just so succinct. And um, so it, it's important enough that we put it on our website because yeah. There, there aren't a lot of, um, I would say there aren't a lot of wide, you know, if you look at other things, if you look at issues of life or marriage or, you know, other social justice teaching or poverty or immigration, there's so many references and there's so many great, great things written on that. But this little book is just, uh, it really is a gem. Yeah. Um, only 65 pages too. As you mentioned, it's a pretty succinct yeah. read. I mean, I really, I, I pretty much carry it with me if, when I travel, like yes. it's just one of those that goes in the, you know, I know I can go on our website and I can look it up if I want, but it, it's kind of one it's, it's dog-eared. It's, it's, you know, it's highlighted. Um, Cause he, he just did a beautiful job and something that, you know, I mean, fairly recently written. So something you would think probably would have existed for the last 50 years. Um, but, but it's just a great, I, I just can't speak enough about it. So I would really encourage I mean, it should be as soon as someone becomes their first year of Catholic teaching that every principal should give every teacher in their Catholic school that book. So as we as we talk about some of this church teaching stuff, there may be people out there, you know, whether lay citizens, maybe they're policymakers, maybe you're a priest like, OK, let's be concrete. Let's like get down into the weeds here. Uh, I already mentioned South Dakota Partners in Education, a beautiful, really wonderful tax credit scholarship program um, that is is really aimed at at serving those kids who are real, most in need, um, those who who really have no other entryways. But there, there's another policy um, tool out there that is growing in many states that I, I'd like to talk about a little bit. Can you tell us, Sean, what is an education savings account? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm very familiar with that. We just, uh, um, our number one policy priority for 2021 was getting the West Virginia Hope Scholarship passed. And even though it's called Hope Scholarship, it's actually an education savings account. Basically, Chris, in a nutshell, what an education savings account does is um, when, when you get a, this law passed in your state, the state provides funding to the parents, not to the schools, not to uh, scholarship organizations, but directly to the parents. The parents have um, an, an education savings account. That's why it's called an ESA. Money is deposited in that account. And then a parent decides how they're going to spend that money on their child every year. 
So just as an example, the, the West Virginia bill that was just passed that we worked on, it's $4,600 per child per year. <clears throat> that money goes into an account that the parent controls and directs. There's a, often a debit card or there's other ways they can spend it, but it's usually in a form of kind of a debit card. Yep. Now they can choose a variety of, of options and they can mix and match. So they can use that for non-public, uh, non-public school, non-government school tuition, use it at a Catholic school or whatever kind of school they want. They can use that for, for tutoring. If their child needs tutoring in math or um, science, history, whatever that might be, they can use part of the money for that. Um, they can use it for a variety of educational resources for their home. Different states have different rules about what you can use it for. And there's a, there's a, a vendor list that's usually created, you know, with, with vendors that the state says, yeah, these are, these are good vendors. Um, there's lots of safety precautions on it. You can't use it. You know, you can't say, well, I need, I need a car to get my kid to school. So I'm going to go buy myself a new car and, you know, use the money for car. Can't do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and there's always a board that oversees, um, you know, to make sure that it's being spent properly, but really it's, it's just, like your health, like, you know, a lot of families have HSAs or FSA, you know, debit cards for health reasons. Yeah. You can, you can mix and match and select what you need. It's the same thing. It's giving parents that option because one size doesn't fit all. Some children might need, you know, some uh, children might have IEPs or uh, other special education needs. Yeah. And so they might need a little bit extra help on, you know, this, that, or the other. So, it, it's really the premier way to go. And, and it's a way a lot of states, I think, are going to start going. Um, the, the old sort of the scholarship method is great and it served a lot of kids. Yeah. But yeah, it's really moving toward that, that uh, sort of freedom to, to, to spend the money the way you want. The other quick beauty of this uh, uh, is whatever you don't spend every year stays in your account. Yeah. And when your child graduates uh, from 12th grade, yeah. if you've got money left in your account, you can use that for college as well. Wow. Okay. That's, that's <clears throat> beautiful. And I, you know, I know these are a newer policy tool in the last decade or two. So we're seeing a kind of a variety of approaches in different states and how they're crafted. But what's striking to me about West Virginia particularly is I know that's also, it's not unlike South Dakota in that it's um, a fairly rural state. There's not like huge metropolis urban areas and so one of the things that I know is on the minds of South Dakotans, including South Dakota Catholics, is this reality that in a small town, maybe there's not a Catholic school. Your only option really is the, the public school, which you would think, okay, as a Catholic, this is ripe for um, other options, parent choice, right? Um, you know, they're the primary educator, but there's also this cultural reality that that public school is sort of like the beating heart to the small town. It's the cultural uh, center of gravity, if you will. And that's a, that's a real thing for people who, you know, live yeah. in these places. And I don't want to discount that. We have to recognize the good this, that, that this is. So there's, there's almost like this um, battle in education policy discussions where it's like, you know, one pie and it's, it's a win lose. Is there any data out there or any research on on how these sorts of programs end up impacting public schools? Do, do we know that? 
Yeah, so there's there's a lot of actually really good academic research on school choice generally because you know we've, we've got a long history now with you know states like Florida and and uh, you know other states that that really led the nation. So we've we've got a lot of good data. I think there I, I I always forget the exact number, but I I think there's something like eighteen um, you know certified academic studies on school choice and the effects on uh, public schooling <clears throat> and. One of those studies is sort of neutral on it. Um, all the other, you know, credible academic studies actually say that school choice or education choice now, as we call it, actually improves um, the local public school. It, do, it doesn't harm it. It doesn't. There's there's never going to be a mass exodus from public schools. All this all this sort of doom and gloom and fear, you know, that, oh, you'll pass school choice and and everyone will leave the public school and the only kids that will be left are, you know, the ones that, that struggle. And it, it's just not the case. It's we've debunked that myth over and over and over in legislature after legislature, program after program. So they it actually brings the public school and makes them the government school, like actually try a little harder because um, because they now need to compete a little bit for parents. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually going to I'm going to find some of the more recent uh, maybe study or two and link to them in the show notes. Cause I think those are important to just show to people of like, you know what, this is not about, um, you know, stealing out of somebody else's, you know, this is, it's actually a win-win scenario. Um, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a proposition that works for all. So Sean, we've got maybe a minute or two left here. Can you just speak to maybe what you're up to right now or how you've seen COVID, uh, change, um, this conversation and what you're seeing out there? All right, I'll, I'll quickly, I'll, I'll say both of those are actually linked, Chris, to yeah. what we're doing now, because 2021 was a great year for education choice. 21 states passed um, new, three new programs, and then there was 18 expansions of programs. So we think 22 and 23, there's just going to be more of that. And COVID played a huge role in that for a couple of reasons. I think COVID um, sort of showed a, a little bit with government schools that the emperor had no clothes. Um, and it really opened uh, parents' eyes to the fact that, gosh, you know what? These schools don't always serve my kids. Um, a lot of kids, parents that were just kind of happy sending their kids to the local school. Yeah. Well, when they shut down, when their kids weren't being educated or they were on distance and that wasn't working for their child, they looked for other options. Yeah. And so I'm thanks be to God, our Catholic schools around the country stepped up, opened up, you know, and, and fulfill their mission of educating children. And so um, a lot of Catholic schools are actually uh, up in enrollment and I've talked to some superintendents around the country and they're staying there. Like those kids are staying there. So, which is great. And then I'll just say, uh, you know, another couple issues that are coming up, um, critical race theory, um, a lot of the LGBTQ issues, those things are also, while they're smaller issues, but they are driving a lot of parents um, out of public public government schools and uh, they're looking for other options. So um, just a lot of these things have come at the same time and uh, we're seeing a real surge in non-public education and Catholic schools. Sean Peterson, thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you, Chris, and a very Merry Christmas to you and your family and all your listeners. Thank you, and to you as well. Dear listeners, thank you for tuning in. As always, don't hesitate to reach out, sdcatholicconference.org. Click Contact Us. Until next time, live well. Live well.